All right, welcome along to the RTE Soccer Podcast. I'm Raf Giallo alongside Ed Leahy of RTE Sport Online. And we've also got journalist David Snaid and we've also got Paul Corrie. And what we're going to be doing today is looking back at Ireland's 9-0 win over Georgia in the qualification race for the 2023 World Cup, which leaves them in a great position for a possible playoff place. And then also we'll be discussing League of Ireland where Shamrock Rovers have uh, extended their lead at the top after a initially uh, difficult previous week where they'd lost to Dundalk but uh, welcome one and all Ed I'm sort of disappointed to see you all on your own here today I think the last time we were chatting it was almost a package deal with Kenny Cunningham and uh, the quiz questions which I wasn't really ready for. <laughs> no quiz today Raf. No, back in uh, back in humdrum Dublin yeah so uh, yeah all good all good. Ireland beat Georgia 9-0 yesterday, obviously with live coverage on RTE television and Katie McCabe with a hat-trick. Louise Quinn with a brace and then Nee Fahey, Megan Connolly, Abby Larkin and Denise Sullivan with the other goals. So let's listen to Vera Pau first before we get to uh, break down this game in detail. Of course, we're in, I can repeat it again, we're in pre-season. Um, so we, what I said to the players, we knew that not everything would go, go right. In the first half, we could have been sharper, but they responded so well in the second half and the subs came in and gave us more energy. Um, and I think that, that is, that's just fantastic. Off-season 9-0, uh, a record away win. Um, what, else can you, what else can you want, actually? So very, very well done of the players. Yeah, and I, I guess it, it proved today the importance of set pieces. How important was the training camp now uh, when you look at it? It was crucial. Uh, we've done a lot of on set pieces. We've done a lot, a lot of keep on keeping the the pitch uh, uh, wide on both sides. We've done a lot on the crosses and winning the second balls. And I think that that's what you you saw back. We can be even better. Uh, we can be sharper. But uh, yeah, we 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 are in pre-season. And again, that is amazing that you then still can score nine goals. And you did use your bench and you saw Abby Larkin, who we spoke about before the game, uh, come on, have a big yeah. impact on the game and, and score her first goal as well. Yeah, she's, she's only 17 years old, but I hope that everybody's seen how talented she is. Uh, she needs to go a long way and we take it easy, but it's fantastic what she did today on the pitch. And we were full, full, uh, full confidence to take the decision to put her on. Well, doesn't it set up the game against Finland perfectly now? Yeah, yeah. I hope the crowds will come out. I hope that everybody will come to Telex Stadium because we need you. This 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 game against Finland. If we win them, if we win that game, uh, we're already through. If if I've calculated well, um, and uh, with the support in in Telex Stadium, our home base, uh, with the atmosphere that we always get, um, let's finish it off now. All right, so that is Ireland manager Vera Pau speaking pitch side in Gorey after that 9-0 victory. Ed, I mean, even looking behind her, this is something we talked about with Lisa Fallon. Obviously, the conditions were always going to be a challenge, albeit Ireland, in terms of quality, were much far ahead of Georgia. But the pitch didn't look great, even you know on the television. And then when you're looking behind her there, and the temperatures as well. But they dealt with all that really well. Yeah, do you know, I was, I was looking at this game, and as she referred to there, like, you know, it's sort of off season. It's not even pre season for some of them. Um, I had a feeling that it, it could just potentially be a banana skin in that sense. Um, and you were sort of looking at whoever came up with the scheduling and, and wondered was it a was it a, a wise move? But look, as it turned out, the result 
well, once he got the early goal, the result was never in doubt. But, you know, as it turned out, the pre- preparations for the game, the, you know, the training camp they had together, it all sort of gave them a little bit more so, something to focus on in the summer, especially and it takes the mind off the, the Euros that are about to happen without them. So uh, I think overall, it's after working out really well and, really, and, and it sets up the, the game in September. Um, and it's great in the sense that Finland is the first game because it gets, to, gets the chance to go and wrap it up and you know show their intent to to have that place secured with a game to spare that would be really that would be really good uh, way of going into the into the playoffs i think and the first goal as we said with the with the conditions and the pitch as well um obviously katie mccabe's finish was uh, unbelievable but the move on that surface was very impressive yeah well look katie mccabe is, a, is an incredible footballer you just have to like she's she's worth the admission fee alone just to watch Katie uh, her movement her touch her striking of the ball everything about Katie is just is just pure class and we can see it now we're getting strength and depth with that team now Vera Power was always very wary of using her using her bench even in certain matches but now you can see her she's bringing players through and there's real competition for places now in that team and. Uh, it can only get better. I think Nifahi said that they're the best they've ever been, but I think now they can get better. Yeah, and Amber Barrett um, obviously led the line, and I think pre-match there was a lot of talk about whether leaving Stephanie Roach out of the match day squad was a wise decision or not, given the the fact that Georgia were going to be playing around kind of deep lines. But obviously Amber Barrett brought a lot of energy down the channels. And uh, David, she was somebody you were speaking to recently, wasn't she? And, you know, she's obviously a background in GAA, but has found herself, you know, playing for a country now in a different code and also, you know, taking adventures abroad over in Germany. Yeah, like she obviously just finished her season with, with Cologne. But even the point Dead makes as well, and that's where obviously we spoke to Amber when she was in that the training camp in Turkey, and she was making that point just about the level of preparation that was going in and the work that was that was being put into it. And you got you just got the sense of real kind of togetherness and like the point there that the fact that like a major tournament is now happening without Ireland that they could well be involved in. And she was kind of making the point, just saying that it's something that they do draw on, that it's kind of brought up in meetings about what happened in that game against Ukraine. And the fact that now Ireland are going to have Finland coming to Tallaght, like Vera Powell men- mentioned it there, but wanting to have a full house. Like it is pretty much the biggest game now, probably you'd imagine the history of women's football in terms of what's what could be at stake in terms of getting in and making sure they have that that playoff spot and listening to listening to Amber. Yeah. I was being I was being a bit cheeky just because I had a, a good chance to have a bit of a slagging off GAA at, at some point in it when she was talking about like yeah it's good watching Donegal do well in GAA but any player would want to represent their country. So that was just a bit of mischief on uh, on my part when uh, what you call it when she was talking about that. But um she's just it's one of them where she, she kind of strikes you as a bit of an infectious character around the place, you know what I mean? Especially I can imagine when you're away, I'm sure Paul knows this way. If you're away at a training camp, my, as much as you're doing good work, you're you're around people, you kind of want people who are a bit of a buzz and kind of keep the, the spirit high. And like I think she kind of strikes me as that kind of character, you know. Yeah, Paul, just on that point, actually, just the type of characters you have when you're kind of away on a camp, like just how important, like obviously everyone's a bit different you'll have uh, you'll have quieter people people who are kind of more bubbly but having that balance i guess is hugely important yeah absolutely and i think any sort of successful squad you would always look to maybe four or five really strong characters within that group but 
I guess this group has have spent a, a lot of time together. I think they had a training camp before the Pinatar Cup back last year, and they they had quite a good stint there. And uh, you can certainly see the, the rewards of having the training camp before before this round of fixtures as well. So it's obviously a group that is very comfortable with one another, um, and you can you can start to see, I guess, those those real leaders within the camp kind of emerging um, over over this qualifying campaign in particular. So. You combine that with potentially a bumper crowd into Tala for, for that Finland game and, and you've got a good recipe there. So listen, the progress that's been made over the last 12, 18 months with, with regards to kind of the strength of the squad, the way that we play, there just seems to be a real sort of belief and, um, you know, understanding of what it is we're trying to do. And it's certainly heading in the right direction. That's going to be a massive game. You just hope now that those people, those leaders, those characters are all fit and ready for September. We're not kind of nursing any injuries coming into that game because it's such a massive one, like Davey said. Yeah, and one of those main characters is Denise O'Sullivan. Ed, I suppose the positions she was taking up, especially in the first half, and then obviously got the goal at the very, very end, but Georgia couldn't couldn't handle her because she was just popping up in like these different half spaces. Again, like, you know, I said, I said, I said the same about Denise as I'd say about Katie. She's an incredible footballer and a really really good football brain and on her she reads the game so well she times her runs so well her touch is so good her link up play is so good and you know i've seen her play all ranges of midfield options and she can slot in absolutely seamlessly into any of those positions even like as a holding midfielder she's a, she she's an incredible player back there when she when she does hold but it, she just times her runs into the boxes in and adds to the attack in the unit so often. And um, she's just really, a really great asset to have in the team. As is Megan Connolly, who was player of the match. So let's listen to her. She was talking about the set-piece threat that they had, which was a very uh, important factor in the win and including her kind of role in midfield in terms of setting up the players further forward. So let's just have a listen to her. That's something we, we knew would be big for us. Um, again, if we got the deliveries right. I think even just our wing play as well was important, uh, getting it wide and trying to cross it and just getting heads on it. Um, and I think, yeah, we got a lot of joy out of it. Um, yeah, we could have got more. I think we, we would have been um, disappointed in the first half, but I think we kind of opted the second half, um, put more on the scoreboard. Um, yeah, we wanted to get more, we wanted to keep going. Um, but yeah, it was uh, down to deliveries. Uh, Katie did really well. Uh, and then obviously Lou got on the end of a lot of them, so that helps. But Katie may have scored a hat-trick, but you're the player of the match, and one of the reasons for that is because of the amount of goals that you <laughs> set up. I mean, you know, you really were putting them on a plate yourself today. Yeah, I think it's one of those days where everything goes right. Um, you have you have those days, some days none of them go right. So, yeah, I was lucky today that all kind of people got on the end of it. You know, it's it's all about the delivery, but at the end of it, you need someone making that run. You need someone putting their body on the line to try to get it in. So it's 50-50. Um, and, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I could um, help get some, some goals in. Um, but it was all about the win um, and just getting uh, goals on the board. And now we're looking forward to the next game. All right, so that's Megan Connolly, who was excellent in midfield alongside Jessu and provided that platform for the likes of Denise O'Sullivan and Katie McCabe, obviously, to um, go on and not just score goals, but create and kind of uh, pick apart Georgia. The set pieces that she mentions there, Paul, I mean, it's a facet of the game, maybe with the modern game, where we're always talking about playing out from the back and, you know, trying to break down teams that way. But set pieces as Ireland showed, you know, they're 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 obviously a crucial facet of the game. Yeah, they are crucial. And you look at I guess any sort of level within football now, they are deciding moments at every sort of level. And and I guess we're very fortunate in the sense that we've got 
uh, excellent delivery at this level, whether it be Katie McCabe or, or Megan Connolly, whoever that might be, the, the delivery of the ball is is one thing. And then we've got willing runners and people who are willing to get on the end of it. So, uh, yeah, I'm missing I mean, a massive part, not only for, for our national team, but at any facet of the game. But uh, I think what we have shown over the last number of weeks, particularly against the likes of Georgia, it's maybe a little easier, but we've kind of got a number of different routes to go. Um, you know, we can we can go through teams, you go down the side, and I'm particularly strong then at set pieces. But Megan Connolly's been superb, particularly during this campaign, whether she's had to slot in at centre half or play from the middle of the pitch. Her ability to to link play and to create chances um, has really progressed over over the last 12, 24 months. And that was adamant yesterday within the game. And it was it was no surprise to kind of see her there with Tony at the end of the game. But yeah, listen, set pieces are huge, particularly in tight games. Um, look forward to that Finland game. That could be potentially be a, a decider on the night. Um, and fortunate for us, we have people with incredible talent who are able to, I guess, be and stand up at those moments. Yeah, and set pieces, I imagine, will be incredibly important in that Finland game, which is on September 1st, and then Slovakia five days later, away from home. Um, Ed, I suppose there was one last point just in regards to Tallis Stadium. So um, Tony O'Donoghue asked Katie McCabe about whether, you know, the the fixture has, you know, that Finland fixture has probably out, possibly outgrown Tallis Stadium. So here's her response to that. Uh, you've set it up nicely now. Uh, Finland at home, uh, September how much are you looking forward to it already? Yeah, I can't wait. Um, look, we'll have a week off before we kind of kick into our pre-season with our clubs. Um, and then obviously we'll be ready to go in a couple of weeks' time for us. Um, we want to see as many fans as we can. We want to pack out Tallis Stadium. I believe tickets are on sale July 26th, um, if I'm told correctly, by, uh, by Gar here. Um, yeah, so we want to just make sure we're, we're packing it out and, and getting everybody behind us because it's a massive game um, and a massive kind of step towards where we want to get it in, in terms of qualifying for our first major tournaments. And a game as big as this now hasn't outgrown Tally, do you think? Sorry? I'm just saying that this could be the hottest ticket in town. A game as big as this now hasn't outgrown Tally, do you think? Now we want to be playing in Tallis Stadium, and um, that's our home pitch. It's been it's been there for years, and um, we want to sell it out, create a really good atmosphere for everybody. Um, we know the the conditions, the pitch, and um, yeah, we're well used to it. So we want to pack that out and make sure um, we've got great support for for the game. Okay. Yeah. So Katie McCabe, there obviously the possibility of you know maybe taking the game to the Aviva Stadium, but she's quite clear there that Tala is the home um, for the women's team, and you know obviously they want to turn that into a fortress. And Ed, I suppose. I'm sure you like you've been to get you've been to some of their home games there. Obviously, a lot of the campaign has actually been built on some great away results, as we've seen the likes of Finland and then the draw in Sweden as well. But obviously, you know, changing you know changing a ground um, at this stage, it's kind of pointless, especially when you've kind of you have turned it into a bit of a you know, I suppose a fortress in one way or just you know a, a comfort zone of a kind. Yeah. No. Look, if. If it was the last game of, of the campaign and they had the playoff in the bag and they wanted to sort of open it up to the general public and see, you know, create maybe like what they're talking about for like Katie Taylor filling, filling stadiums and stuff, just as a general goodwill thing, you know, you could see possibly a logic. But when it's when the competitive um, points are still very much in play, uh, you don't you, you don't want to do anything that would upset the team from their natural habitat, I suppose. And they've become very very comfortable in in the in Tallis Stadium, not just in terms of playing in the arena, but also the way they interact with the fans 
after the games and stuff, and the way the the fans can just get so close to the team and, and just get to know them in that sense. So uh, no, what do you you know? You just couldn't move this game to to Lansdowne Road without a really good reason, and you'd need all you'd almost need it coming from the players, and you can see there that Katie is the main cheerleader and she's the one who's saying tell a stadium it has to be and that's that's just where it will be yeah and exactly that's going to be on the 1st of september so the group as it stands sweden on 19 points and uh, having qualified ireland pole position for the playoff place on 11 and then finland one point behind finland's final game after they play ireland they will be playing in sweden so a lot of this is in ireland's hands and hopefully you know you'd be looking at that and thinking you know sweden would be likely to beat or at least um you know draw with finland so we'll see how that pans out and then obviously slovakia on five and then georgia um on zero points and minus 50 goal difference where i think ireland has contributed to a whole 20 of that uh, in all as well now we're going to switch over to the league of ireland and results over the last uh, couple of rounds so draw the united on friday drew nil nil sligo rovers shamrock rovers beat bohemians in the derby on Friday with Rory Gaffney scoring just after half time. Shelburne up against Dundalk, that was nil-nil. Derry City got back to winning ways with a 1-0 win at UCD with Will Patching's penalty. And then Finn Harps drew 2-2 with St. Patrick's Athletic with uh, two late goals from Carrillo and Boyle at a time when I think the two Billy, Gink, Billy King goals had almost suggested that St. Pat's had it in the bag. And they weren't able to bounce back then on Monday with St. Pat's losing at home to Shamrock Rovers 2-1. Andy Lyons and Aaron Green with the goals for Rovers before Owen Doyle got a late penalty. So um, David Snade, I suppose, from the Shamrock Rovers point of view, I mean, as I said at the top, I mean, they were coming off a week where they had lost uh, lost at Dundalk. And then, you know, they have a dar- two Dublin derbies coming up in a row, which is obviously going to be tricky. But two victories and now it's looking again comfort, uh, very very comfortable for them at the top of the table I think it's alright to say the league is done isn't it 10 points I know like, Dundalk have a couple of games in hand but I think it'd be tough to for, to see anyone put the kind of run together to, to overhaul that now like it's only it, you, you can mention it there like I was up at Oriel Park when Dundalk won and that kind of felt Rovers you know like Benson's goal was, was great like the ball in and just the finish and how it ended and you kind of got the sense something could happen here it could be a bit of a title race and then just like that it's gone again really do you know what I mean it's and the timing of it as well coming into Europe to have that cushion it just kind of gives Rovers even just an, an extra little bit of I don't know just confidence going into some really big games that they have coming up you know and it's just they just like I was, I was at, at the game last night I wasn't working but just a couple of moments where they saw certain times in the in the first half but then like, I don't know, Paul mentioned earlier that he was there as well. And, like, Rory Gaffney in the build-up to Aaron Green's goal. And now Aaron Green will get a lot of plaudits for that goal because it was sensational. And, like, the pass defending was shambolic, really. And it was crazy how the lack of, just the lack of intensity in terms of trying to close Green down. But Gaffney beforehand, and just watching him throughout the whole game, is like, he's just non-stop. Like, you would hate to play against them. And he really does set the tone for Rovers in terms of just the work he does and showing for the ball and just like that. The, the move he did to, to, to get control of the ball and then I can't remember who it was. I think it might have been Gravosti. I could be wrong in terms of who he bullied off the ball and then played a lovely diagonal pass for Green. But Rovers just have so much about them. Like Mahal mentioned earlier about with Ireland about different ways to win a game. Like Rovers have that as well. They really do. And yeah, I think 
at this stage, like we're not even in July, and I think it's fair to say the league is done now, you know. Yeah, and Gaffney, I suppose, uh, you know, there's those moments where a striker misses a chance, as we saw in the derby, and then a couple of minutes later, you know, he pops up with the goals, obviously shows a great presence of mind. But and do you know what, sorry, yeah. just, do you know what was great? Because of where I was, and sometimes you don't really get it when you're maybe a bit further back in the press box, but the Rovers lads were at each other constantly in that game. Like, the man and stuff off each other, like Sean Hoare was getting that Sean Gannon, Gaffney was getting that Gannon, Gannon was getting black. Like Dylan Watts was having a few awards as well. And he wouldn't normally be very, like very loud. It was very telling to see them, like on the pitch, a few of them like properly going at each other in terms of drawing each other on. Because he kind of realized until the goal, until getting it, that like this was a game that was in the balance a little bit. Pats maybe just didn't have that killer, killer instinct in the final tour. But it was just quite telling to see just how much they were kind of driving each other on uh, amongst each other because uh yeah, I'd say it was a few kids who are who are going home saying some coarse words to their, uh, to their parents after that match. <laughs> yeah, I was listening to some of the chants actually. Um, particularly aimed at Andy, <laughs> particularly aimed at Andy Lyons, which uh, who we'll talk about now before we get on to Pat's. Uh, Paul, obviously, look, he's got six goals now, five assists scored. Uh, great finish again, great movement uh, to score against Pat's there last night, and. But he had he kind of played both sides of the game because of course he has Dara Burns to kind of handle on one side as well defensively and then trying to get forward and contribute in that way. So what did you make of his performance over the two games? Yeah, really strong ref. I think I was on early on in the year and I, I said that Andy Lyons should be popping up with between five and ten goals a season um, in the nature of that position at Shamrock Rovers and he's gone on and he's kicked on from not not from what I've said but from that point. Um, Listen, Andy has has grown in, into that position at Shamrock Rovers where he's had to play on the right or the left. And I thought last night was potentially his best performance in a Shamrock Rovers jersey. I'm, I'm slightly surprised at how powerful he is and how, how quick he is at covering the ground. And I think when he's not in the team, you certainly notice it with Shamrock Rovers because, listen, they've they've so many creative players. They've, they've so many people who are comfortable with the ball at their feet. And at times, a lot of them want to actually get drawn towards the ball. If you're going to do that, you do need willing runners on, on the outside. And I think Andy Lyons provides that in abundance for them. There was a number of opportunities, particularly in the first half, when it, it was maybe a timing of a run or an execution of a pass, and Andy was in again. Um, and he is certainly playing in that final third. Like when you see him, he's he's more of a winger than he is a fullback uh, in that position. And he's certainly co- contributing goals as well. And he, his finish was, was superb. Um, mm-hmm. It was one that he's actually had to react quite um, quickly too, because I think it was maybe Dylan Watts or it was Sean Gannon that it came off just before he struck it and he caught it really well. And uh, yeah, listen, he's progressing. He's progressing very well within that squad. <clears throat> I would wonder, given his age profile, given the way teams are setting up, particularly in the UK with a, with a five at the back, if Andy continues to progress like he has done over the last 12 months, there's every chance that he won't be at Tramac Rovers because what he has shown since he's made the move across is that he's progressed and there's there's certainly probably another gear or two to go um, within his progression. And that's before we kind of touch on the defensive side of the game. Uh, I think he's probably improved in that sense as well. Maybe not as strong defensively as he is going forward, but he certainly has that protection with the back five and he dealt pretty well with, with Dara Burns last night, who I also thought was, was actually quite good on the night. Yeah, and obviously it's a challenge this season for Lions because, of course, he's moving from bowls where he was more or less playing right, like right back in a back four. And then oftentimes now we see him kind of left wing back as well. So there's a lot of adaptation and intelligence needed to play those sort of roles. 
Yeah, there is. Listen, first and foremost with Andy and with any sort of player, whether you're looking at them playing at the top level here or going abroad to the UK, is what is their attitude like and what is their their understanding of the game? And Andy ticks the boxes on, on both of those accounts. Like he's he's a very uh disciplined professional. He's you know somebody who who loves the game and, and seems to dedicate him, himself wholly to the game. Then I think when you look at his game intelligence, he's shown that going from a flat back forward to a back five is not an easy transition, particularly for a fullback. And Andy has has kind of taken that on um, very easily. So yeah, listen, he's shown flexibility, shown a great attitude, and I think when you combine that with the the talent that he clearly has, it makes for a very good recipe for success. But I think when when you surround Andy with the likes of I know they didn't play last night, but a Danny Mandreu a Jack Byrne, a Dylan Watts, the runs he makes, they're just going to find him on a consistent basis. And uh, we've seen, you know, whether it be kind of running from in to out or, or just a straight run on the outside, he's gotten into, into positions where he's he's got an opportunity to score goals and he's been proven in front of goal. And listen, the more he's in the team for Shamrock Rovers, the more of a threat they look going forward. And if he is to continue, like I mentioned, it's there's every possibility, Raph, that we're sitting here in six, 12 months' time and Andy's, Andy's secured a move across to the UK or or to maybe a European team. Yeah, so all looking good for Shamrock Rovers. St. Pat's in contrast. Let's listen to Tim Clancy, the manager, who was chatting to John Kenny after the game. Defeat in the end, but uh, what did you make of it all, Tim? Disappointing. Um, that's the, the, the biggest thing is we're coming away from a game again that uh, we've missed chances every bit as good as the ones they've scored. Um, and it finishes 2-1 um, and that's just really really disappointing yeah. Billy King had an amazing chance early on blazed the ball over the top could have changed the whole tone of the game I presume yeah and it's probably a more difficult chance than uh, the goal he got up in Finn Harris which was brilliant last uh, on Friday night <coughs> and I think he's probably just uh, panicked and not panicked but probably took it too quickly um, and didn't set himself right and it, it blazes over the bar and I know Chris had one or two over the bar as well and um, just the decision making in, in, the, in the final third is probably what um, resulted in us not getting more goals uh, probably shooting when we should be slipping lads and when we get slipped in then running out over the end line instead of making them defend So, and you get punished against really good teams like Shamrock Rovers you get punished they've had um, a lot of spells you know they don't have a lot of spells at the balls they put good balls into the box and then uh, we defended them well and the two goals we can see they were, were, were poor what about the half-time talk? It looked difficult to break them down. I know. So you were relying on a couple of half-chances like that, but what was the time team talk at half-time? They had no chances first half either that I can think of. Pico with a flick from a free kick yeah. at the edge of the box and it bounced awkwardly in front of Joe and he spilled it, but apart from that, I don't think they had any chances either. So um, Half-time team talk was quite, quite good, um, positive, and then you can see the, the goal, we can see the first one. But I think there's times we can get closer and... and, and probably be more uh, cynical in the middle of the pitch if we are getting broken on there's nothing wrong with fouling that's experience and it's probably something that <coughs> we don't have enough of in the in the squad at the minute and then the second goal as well it's inexcusable to have a winger striker whatever you want to call Greener facing the sideline you know he's left foot to let him down the line cut inside two players and score from a tight angle um, and that's the difference Frantic finish as well wasn't it um, he had a couple of chances there to maybe get a point even with the penalty I think we deserve a point I don't think anyone will leave this ground tonight saying that we didn't deserve that now of the game um, I'm not saying we deserve to win it but we certainly deserve something out of the game um, and again free kick into the box and Owen Doyle got his head in the um, the difference between <coughs> us uh, Friday night was we were total control of the game at 2-0 and then 
um, two set pieces have, have hurt us on Friday and we didn't capitalise on it today Alright so that is St. Pat's manager Tim Clancy so he's speaking obviously after the 2-1 defeat of Shamrock Rovers but also I think he, can, he references there the 2-2 uh, the draw with Finn Harps where they were in control of the game until very very late on um, huge frustration there from David I, I suppose when we think back to Pat's at the start of the season where you know they they ran um, Shamrock Rovers close probably should have beaten them in the President's Cup final and then obviously beat them in the first league meeting and then you contrast it to now it's uh, you know obviously game management seems to be a bit of an issue and they just can't seem to find a real pattern yeah like i think like tim clancy mentioned there about maybe a bit of, a bit of having a bit more cynicism in, in their play in the middle and, and stuff like that and yeah there was kind of times like that and i just kind of get the sense like you get out you get out of the game what you do deserve regardless like pat's missed missed that chance through, through billy king where yeah he kind of swipe he kind of swipes at it but it just felt even just from watching it that rovers and maybe it's easy to say it in hindsight, but like they took their opportunities, obviously, when, when they came. But they did. They just had that little bit more of know-how. And I think they just had that bit more composure and a little bit of, like I mentioned earlier, about lads getting on top of each other. Like It was one thing, it, like the past players seemed a bit more quiet and they just seemed a bit more reserved almost. almost not that they were expecting waiting something to happen and, and then reacting, but I thought it was quite telling that once they were kind of 2 nil down and they brought on, obviously, um, Tundi Owalabi came on. He brought on a lot of energy and a lot of pace and just kind of, just seemed to have a bit more, a bit more direct and he kind of gave Rovers a, a couple of more problems, but it's kind of maybe a bit easier to kind of play a bit freer when you're already 2 nil down and the game's not in the balance and that's when the pressure should be really on to actually step, to step up. And it's just been, it's been kind of a season of Europe is going to be coming in coming into view now as well and that'll be interesting to see how that goes because that could be a redeeming feature for it but it's kind of I'd say a lot of Pats fans would say it's kind of a season almost to be expected a little bit in terms of like losing a manager like Stephen O'Donnell who had such a big transformative impact in terms of change and just the nature of where the club was going obviously winning the winning the cup putting it up to Rovers a bit more last season although Rovers still again just were arms had them at arms length a little bit and then just the, the overhaul in players and the squad, it's just just when it looked as if last year Pat had something maybe to build on, they're kind of starting from scratch again a little bit. And you kind of just need to see how this, the rest of the season plays out. And when Tim Clancy, maybe he mentioned it there about, say, experience, I imagine it, would, it was a case of trying to get bodies in, obviously, over the over the winter for, the, for this season. But that's definitely an area for next year, though, just having that little bit more of know-how and just a bit more... A little bit of kind of maybe it's too easy and it's too easy to say a bit of nastiness about them. But you just kind of felt as if Rovers, it was almost like Rovers did have them at arm's length a little bit again last night, and they were the ones who were kind of where I thought anyway, kind of dictating the the play up until maybe it was a bit of a, a frantic finish and it could have ended up being a draw. But like, I mean, if you're looking at where the benchmark is, Pats are still a fair bit off it. Yeah, and it'll be a little bit harder with the some of the, the situation around Dara Burns at the moment. So Dan McDonnell and the mm-hmm. Irish Independent, of course, uh, reporting that Shamrock Rovers are monitoring his situation because he's. I think there's links with moves to the UK, but if those don't happen, then the way mm-hmm. the compensation rules work actually plays in the favour of the League of Ireland side. And you know, I think Shamrock Rovers would like to think that they can uh, that they could attract him over as they did with Andy Lyons and and others um I suppose Paul that would be a huge blow obviously if uh, if Dara Burns was to relocate yeah I would agree with you uh, I, I thought after Andy Lyons he was he was probably the best player on the pitch last night um he probably just lacked maybe a bit of support around him in order to maybe open up the Shamrock Rovers defense but 
I think what Dara is, is he's probably a bit of a throwback. You probably don't see too many natural wingers these days who are kind of natural dribblers who go at people and they're very direct. And, and he certainly has that in abundance. And he's he's shown particularly last season and this season that when he gets into that final third, he can create and he can score goals. Pats have a bit of a, a dilemma here because, you know, it's not as if they have Dara tied down for the next 18 months. So they have a real decision to make. I guess from a financial point of view, are they going to cash in on him now or are they going to try use him to maybe secure European football that also has his riches um, and rewards come the end of the year? It's it's a difficult one as well from a player's point of view. He probably wants to move at this at this stage of his career. He probably feels as if he's he's ready to go. And if if a club, I think MK Dons was a team that was mentioned, that would be a really good kind of landing ground for, for Dara over there. They're, they're kind of like a really progressive club. We play out from the back, probably not too dissimilar of what he's experiencing at Pats. Um, and I guess then on the flip side is if, if they don't sell him now, there's potential that they lose him to Shamrock Rovers. And Shamrock Rovers have shown with the acquisitions of, of Danny Mandreu, Andy Lyons, they've picked up the best of the rest within the league. And if if he isn't to go this year to the UK, you would suspect then that he's he's gonna he's probably gonna go to Tala um because he's probably gonna be want to be a part of that success story. So it's gonna be interesting to see how this plays out over the next number of weeks. I would not at all be surprised if if they did cash in if if a good big came in from just purely on the basis of after that they haven't got him tied down to a long deal and the likelihood is that they're gonna lose him at the end of the season. But from a, a player's point of view and a talent point of view, I think he's he's got a lot to his game. Um, certainly enough that if, if he does get over there he can he can be a success Yeah and in terms of the transfer window and leading into July obviously Bowes have been one of the busier clubs making three signings so Josh Kerr Scottish centre-back from Eredree in Scottish League 1 Ryan Burke who's come in from Mansfield to slot and left-back and then John O'Sullivan right midfielder from League 1 Akron and Stanley over in England and you know David looking at their squad and I think as we've seen with their kind of inconsistency as we've discussed with Pats I mean they were coming off a victory over Shelburne obviously the derby is going to be a different matter it's a derby and also mm. Shamrock Rovers are the strongest squad in the country as well but what else do they look like they need? Because it seemed there was a bit of a void up front as well. Yeah, it's it's a strange if you're if you're it wasn't the last that about about sorry about balls that if like the matches had finished in the 70th minute or something, they would have been far higher up the table. And it just does seem to be about seeing out games like and having we're talking about know-how, like talking with the players that that balls would have lost over over the winter in terms of they lost a spine of a team that just have so much experience and just a little bit of that cleverness about how to see certain games out. And that's been that's been like one of the the big factors or the big kind of I would say kind of characteristics of their season has just been getting into decent positions and just not being capable of of seeing out. Like we saw at the start of the season wasn't there a whole issue over the whole captaincy and it was being spread around kind of Connor Levinson's kind of has had it and he's had it had a decent season in terms of up front. Like it wasn't so long ago like, I remember being out at, at Abbottstown for a press conference with Jim Crawford, and Jim Crawford was talking about Promise on share being probably the best young player in the league, you know, and the ability that he has. And he, against Rowers, the other, more so, not so much central, but maybe playing off the, the kind of the left-hand side. Yeah, off the, off, in the channels, he was really good, yeah. Yeah, really, really impressive. And he kind of, he's had that about him. You see him playing in games, and he... There's some games you look at him and you think he's unplayable. He's got so much about him. But because he's still young, he has that element of, of inconsistency. And you kind of look at it thinking, like, like Paul mentioned there, about say going to different teams and a landing ground and what could be 
could be good from you would imagine that he's sort of player who if the rising above up up the levels that you would be capable of doing it and that, that you would find that that level of consistency now obviously both want to lose him and I think it's telling as well the fact that Keith Long has been able to go into the, the transfer market because obviously they didn't spend their budget before the start of the season. He wasn't he wasn't going to spend it for the sake of it. And maybe in hindsight, that's probably a good thing in the, in the sense that maybe even though it has been a pretty a kind of inconsistent start to the season, first half of the season, they had got the wrong type of bodies in and where that money was gone, they might not have been able to have improved the squad. And like someone like John Sullivan coming in who has vast experience and was coming back to Dublin as well, which would be a big which would be a big thing for him. So you would the big thing for for balls and would be and would kind of because I know Keith Hong was getting some dogs abuse off balls fans and stuff that's happened, but not that he needs to get more credit in the bank with them. But if if the the players he's brought in who obviously be available only from from this weekend, if they're able to kind of have that give that give that sense of just consistency and being able to see games through, you would expect them that balls, especially with non-European football, should be able to go on a bit of a a bit of a run towards the back end of the season. Now, we can't say for sure it's going to happen, but it's what they need to do. They really do, especially after the disappointing first half. Yeah, and Ed, at the at the top end, or at least close to the top end, obviously Dundalk, we were talking them up on last week's podcast, uh, which always seems to be a bit of a curse sometimes when you do that. Um, <laughs> and teams tend to drop points immediately after. But again, look, they're still having a great season, but going over to Shelburne, who have been much improved, um, it is still a little bit of a missed opportunity, obviously. Yeah, well, I think, I suppose, with Dundalk, um, even though they're in a rebuilding phase, they still have, they still bring with them the big the big club sort of uh, factor when they're, they're taking on teams. So teams still want to beat Dundalk, you know, that sort of way. So that's why it, it's sort of working to Shamrock Rovers' advantage that the, that the league is remaining so competitive, which is strong, Pats, Bowes, Shelburne, able to take points off... Uh, all the teams, you know, so like oh, I, I think I think the Dundalk team on the day can be anybody, and they've shown that with, with Shamrock Rovers. Um, I still think they'll they'll be there. I don't. I, I'm not giving the league title to Rovers just yet, as as Dave has already done. But um, you know, those two wins, they're, they're very capable of winning the, the games in hand. They're very capable of 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 being, you know, very consistent for the rest of the season. So. I still think the Rovers' main challenge. I think, yeah, I think Rovers will still have enough to stay clear of them, but I, I wouldn't expect anyone to finish above Dundalk uh, other than Rovers this season. Yeah, although Derry City did get back to winning ways uh, with a penalty from Will Patching giving them a 1 0 win at UCD. But um, Paul, UCD made them work hard for it, though. Yeah, they did. And uh, UCD have shown, I guess, that they, they can be a bit of a banana skin and they always have been down through the years, whereby if it tends to click for them on the night, uh, they can be a really stiff opposition. It was kind of scary to to think that it was seven games since Derry's last win. And I guess it was at, at three points where you didn't really mind how they got it or what the performance was like. They just needed a win and they needed to turn things around. And I mean, that was that was vitally important for Rory Higgins to, to get those three points on the board because... I mean, we were also full of hope, I guess, similar to, to what Ed has said there around Dundalk. We were kind of hoping that they were going to be the team that would push uh, Shamrock Rovers, and then they've obviously fallen away. But just with regards to the second half of the season, the, the European campaign that they have coming up, you would love to see them maybe just turn it around and pick up a bit of form. So that three points against UCD was vitally important. Um, it will be interesting to see whether whether they add 
to that squad because obviously there's been much made of of the resources that they have available now. And if they were to do that, well, then hopefully you would look to to maybe pick up a bit of form and, and push on again. Um, but for UCD, yeah, listen, it's it's going to be very difficult, Raph. Like the fact that they lost Colin Whelan to injury now, they've lost Liam Kerrigan. Um, they were obviously their their two best players and very important to what it is they they do with regards to going forward and scoring goals. So to lose those two characters out of the dressing room, it's going to be difficult. Um, and it's you know it, it's going to be difficult for them to probably latch on to Finn Harps and and stick with them because uh, you know it's it's a young squad and when you when you use two pivotal players like that it's it's difficult to replace but important win for Derry um, and be interesting to see how they can kind of pick up from here yeah Liam Kerrigan heading off to Como so he's the latest uh, Irish footballers heading off to uh, Ital- or Italy so let's just listen to Andy Myler who was talking about him after the uh, Derry game uh, obviously the UCD manager and just kind of detailing uh, what's coming next for him yeah, Liam always got, is set to leave the club, so uh, with our best wishes, um, he's got a move to Serie B in Italy to Como, so we're absolutely delighted for him. Um, it's sort of exactly uh, the pathway that we want for our players. Um, you know, Limo finished his degree this summer, his commerce degree in his back pocket. Um, he's moving on now, obviously under 21 international, doing really well there. And it's time for him to move on. So uh, that's the cycle that we have here. And we're absolutely delighted for him. Uh, you know, we can't wait to see how he gets on in the next stage of his career. And I think fantastic, not only for Liam, but for other players in the league to see that like there's a, there's a whole world of football out there beyond the UK and Ireland. So um, fantastic move. Uh, and we're, we're, all looking to, we're all looking forward to going up to Lake Como to see him. Just finally, are you expecting much of a turnover in, in personnel here over the next month or so? Yeah, listen, we, we'll get a couple. Um, obviously, uh, Colm had, had done his ACL, but we're hoping that a move still goes through for, for Colm. He was in the same situation as Liam. Um, and one, one or two others who, who have interest will probably move on as well. But that is the cycle of things. There's a bunch of young lads we brought in tonight that are, most of whom have just done their leaving cert. Um, and we're hoping we'll turn into university students next year. Um, so that's that's listen. That's how we roll here. So uh, they're good guys. They're the next Liam Kerrigan's, Colin Whelan's, all of those, Paul Doyle's. You know, all of those guys. So um, we're looking forward to seeing how they do. Uh, so turnover is a is a fact of life at UCD. Um, but we're happy to go with that. All right. So that's UCD manager Andy Myler obviously discussing Liam Kerrigan and his move to Como. So this is after after Carl Heffernan, who is now um, signed permanently for AC Milan. We've also seen Kevin Zeffi go from Shamrock Rovers to Inter Milan, and then the two lads who are going off to. Udinese, James Abanquet from Pats, and then Fessi Abasele, who's leaving from Derby. Although I think, as some people have pointed out, that uh, the path to Udinese usually t- takes you straight to Wat- Watford after. So that may well happen. But in terms of Kerrigan himself and moving to Italy, and like, were you surprised that that's the destination he was going to, Paul? Yeah, I was. <clears throat> um, I- I'm not sure what I make of it, to be honest with you. Uh, it must It must have been a a pretty good package that was was put in front of him because I, I would imagine that there would have been a, one or two other clubs um sniffing around him because he's he's done pretty well while he's been at UCD and the showings that he had for the Irish 21s would have given him options. It's it's hard to say just purely on the basis that we've not had too many players go that route and uh and kind of seeing the progression that their career has taken off the back of that move. I just don't know where where it leaves him with regards to his next move and where he works his way up. Maybe he sees that as as being a good fit for for his style of play and for his game. UCD will always play out from the back. You would imagine Italian football is is probably going to suit that. I just I don't know at this moment in time, Raf. Um, I mean, 
people probably give out that we always send our players to the UK, but the reason that is is because that's that's where the resources are and that's where the money is, and that's why why players tend to go there. The contracts are predominantly better in in the Championship and League One than they would be in Serie B. Um, but maybe maybe for his career, maybe for his game, this is the best move. It's just it's one that we'll have to kind of track over the next 12, 24 months. But it's it's one where I I was very, very surprised when, when I saw his, his destination. But one I'm sure that David Schneider will have no problem going over to interview him <laughs> over there in Italy. Yeah, I'm already sourcing the flights. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's easier to get to than Ascoli. Um, I think I we were discussing a while back. Yeah, Lake Como, nice part of the world. But just on the wider point, I remember talking to Michael Walker on the podcast a, a few months ago, just about that that trend of young Irish players going further afield. And this is obviously just another staging point. We're going to be seeing a lot more of this, David. Yeah, like it's it's a natural kind of aspect as well of obviously what's happening with. With, with Brexit as well, isn't it? Um, in terms of, say, I know obviously well, with, with Liam's different in terms of the age. I wonder as well, like I'm, I'm guessing he would have came on maybe a radar there when he played for the 21s against it as well, which is interesting because it was one of them that kind of came out of the blue in terms of even club who who, who are sniffing around. But yeah, like you kind of, it's an interesting one. Like it, I made this point before, like it's great when you kind of, there's a bit more of a, a bit of a glamour about when you hear lads going say an Inter Milan or an AC Milan and it's exciting and all the rest but it's still the same issue in terms of it's a different they're going to a different country but still exporting the problem just somewhere else in the sense of making sure they're actually ready for it as well that's that has to be the big thing for it and like say for example say we'll call Her- Cottle Heffernan like I know when he remember when he went over and wasn't he Tony went down and did the, the interview with um down in the house and stuff, but he was going over on a loan to kind of it's basically a trial effectively to see if he would settle in and, and how he would cope with it. And he obviously took it with both hands. And that's again, we Paul would know in terms of you can get opportunities in life and you have to obviously take them. And then so much more has to go right for you and, and to get where you have to be. And we're talking there, say, about, about Liam Kerrigan, about well, what's the next pathway for him? Where does he go? And you would imagine, like, I don't know, it's one of them where I'll be honest, I didn't even know Como had a team in CB. It was not something that I would have, yeah. but that's, me, that's my own ignorance on it. And then you kind of say, well, what's their, what's their kind of reputation in terms of developing players? Will clubs be looking at them to go and say, well, that's it. They're, kind of renowned maybe for getting lads who might not be on the radar of other clubs and then bring them along. So it'd be great if that's the if that's the case. Or like we mentioned here with say Udinese and Watford, is there a link with a different club where he goes there for a period and he could go somewhere else? Because football, like there's so many things like it's intertwined. So it's a big one where you it'd be it's great to see lads going and and as Andy Moyler mentioned there that it is a big world and and challenging themselves and I'd say the older they are, the better in terms of they will be adapting to that or being able to take that on because, like, it can, I can't imagine what it's like. It can be overwhelming at a young age going over. It's why there's so many different stories of heartbreak. You just hope they're not coming back saying, yeah, you had a horrible time, but I was able to learn a different language. Like, that's no good to anybody if they're not actually able to kick on, really. Do you know what I mean? Like, it still has to, as I mentioned, like I said earlier, like, it still does feel like a bit of an issue in terms of, Lads going going out and you just hope that they have the backing behind them and the, the ground behind them and hopefully with the national leagues coming through and the, the academies that are going to be developing that that's eventually what will be put in place. But at the moment, it does seem as if still things are in their infancy with that. 
Yeah. One, one yeah. thing about, about Liam's move to Como, I think that does stand to his advantage, is that he's an exciting attacking player. So he's the type of player, if, if he can get a run of goals you know, early in his move over there, if he can score a few goals, suddenly it'll attract that sort of bit of, you know, a bit more attention to him. And, and you know, it gives him scope. Then if he can get a good run of six months, even a good season in the team, you know, it sets up another move if he doesn't settle in to the to the cultural side of it, you know, that sense. Um, so in a way, it's I suppose it's, it's a sort of free hit for him, you know, like, as, you, as Paul said, the, the package must be good in, in terms to get him there. But if it doesn't work out for him, he's still a very young, exciting uh, talent. So, you know, you'd imagine the interest will still be there with him uh, and, and more so if he, if he can make, you know, if he can make a good impression early on. Because there is there is some good teams that he's going to be playing against in, in you know, the likes of Parma and I think is it Perugia still in that league, Ascoli. Um, Lecce were promoted, but uh, you know, so the, the, it is a good standard. And if, if he does get a good run of games, you'd imagine that uh, we'll, we'll hear a bit a bit about him anyway. Yeah, we'll see how he gets on anyway. And uh, just before we go on to the first division, so his former clubs like Rovers, of course, uh, uh, second game under John Russell, so four points from six. Uh, Paul, have you seen much change there in terms of uh, what he's in those first couple of games? I haven't caught the, the match to be brutally honest, Raf, but. I, I would imagine John Russell will probably set up in a, in a similar sort of way to Liam Buckley, given that he, he played under him for such a long period of time and then worked with him um, as well. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure he'll just listen, look to, to tighten up on, on different elements of, of their of their game. I, th- I think like you can kind of put Sligo, Pats and Bows into the same bucket. And if you look at the results, they almost match each other with regards to just not being able to back up good results with another good result. And listen, they, they had a really good three points against Finn Harps and, and you're probably looking at it and thinking, draw that decent opportunity to go back-to-back wins and they just failed to do so. And and that has been the case with, with Pats and Bows as well. It's just littered with inconsistency. They, you you kind of feel as if they've turned a corner and then you, you're back to to kind of the same point again because they, they haven't been able to back it up with another win. And I would say for John Russell going in there, it's, it's not a case of maybe being you know, outrageously expansive with the ball. It's actually about putting consistent results together and hoping that you can secure one of those European spots because they've shown, particularly last season, that with the players that they have, that they can go on good runs. I think getting Greg Bulger back on the team has been pivotal, whatever it is with Greg. He's obviously a superb player, but the statistics with him without him are are just, you know, ridiculous. And maybe it goes back to what Dave was saying about Shamrock Rovers and maybe it's the demands that he's putting on people around him and, and his ability then to link the the back four to the four players. He's been very important with regards to getting results. But uh, for, for John Russell, um, very good player, played against him a couple of times, obviously got a very good understanding of the game. I'm sure he won't look to change too much in the middle of any season. Uh, we'll just look for that bit more consistency throughout the, throughout the, throughout the squad. Yeah, the only kind of major change there, I think Jordan Hamilton obviously left uh, just uh, before this uh, kind of July window or start of the, uh, or during this transfer window. But uh, anyway, the first division, so Cork City have taken a bit of a mantle at the very top now. So they they won the derby against Cove on Friday night, 1-0. And then uh, Waterford also beat Bray Wanderers 1-0. Galway 
who are still second, four points behind them now, drew nil-nil with Treaty United, and then Wexford uh, beat Longford Town 2-1. And then on Monday, there was another round of action with Cork City winning 5-0 at Treaty United, Longford Town winning 2-0 at Galway, or at home to Galway, Bray Wanderers 2, Wexford 2, and then finally at Lone Town lost 5-2 at home to Waterford. So there's a couple of stories there. Obviously, Christian Magarusen scoring both goals for Longford there against Galway, which is sort of changed the uh the i suppose the aspect of that title race at the top or the promotion race i should say but um let's talk about cove ramblers actually because shane keegan's back in the league david um obviously taking um taking charge there at ramblers and replacing darren murphy and as we know look he's previously wexford and galway boss as well so it's a good move for them i guess yeah yeah i'll be chatting to shane later on and do a podcast with him <coughs> sorry elsewhere with the uh with the 40 Wait, there's there's other uh, podcasts that exist are there i know it's, it's, it's strange there's a few of them on spotify if you kind of search there's like there's all different brand, all genres of them as well it's, it's strange um but uh yeah like it's, an, it's gonna be an interesting one because obviously he was with treaty and he was more so obviously shane would be and say doing stuff in the in the media and was more so kind of see he was looking over the academy but if you look at it it could be a wise one because like it's not so long ago when he was getting wexford promoted and like I know, obviously, Wexford would have had a bit of obviously a back in there. With we talk about Italian football, Mr. Wallace, obviously a, bit, a, bit, a big fan of it. But like he had that kind of, he was very highly regarded in terms of what he did at, with Wexford getting them promoted. Then obviously gets the the job at Galway, and then things don't go well there. And you kind of just wonder what it's going to be, uh, how it will how it will work for him. You know, like you do speak to him, and it's just someone who we talk about. It, he's just properly immersed in the game. Um, as I said, I'll be chatting to him later, so it's going to be interesting to hear about his own thought process on it because like, he did kind of seem to be enjoying the role that the role that he was in, um, and just kind of what's going to be like dealing with with uh, the challenges that will come as well because obviously he's based in a different parts of the country, but like now and Shane, I mean, like I know he said about this before in the past, but obviously when he was involved with Dundalk, but he's kind of said this, and everyone knows what what was kind of happening say there in terms of. He was obviously in as a coach more so more so than anything else. But I don't know. It would be interesting even what Paul might think on it. But I just think he's a fella who he kind of just knows. He, he knows every different facet. Like you know, I think he was down at the Kennedy Cup last weekend. He knows different facets of the game. And at that level, that's what you need. You know what I mean? You need to know little gems in different parts of the country in terms of who might be capable. Because let's be honest, like you're the, the smallest of small fish down there as well. You have to be able to be capable of finding, picking lads out and saying, that, you know, working with them and he has that capability of being able to prepare teams at the very highest level in this country but then also know what's needed a bit lower down to kind of get a good team together really essentially and get a kind of group of lads together so it could work out very well for him yeah, I have, to, I have to say that. I have to say that to him. I speak to him most yeah. weeks, so I can't say anything else. <laughs> yeah, obviously, look, uh, listening to his comments when he when he took the job, obviously he was talking about Cove's sort of centenary. So obviously the the understanding of the history of, of the club and everything else. But um, I think they sort of their um, struggles this season have sort of been overshadowed by the fact that Athlone Town have been pretty well, even even worse than they have in terms of results, Paul. So um, it is a huge it is a huge challenge for him. But it, obviously, as David's outlined there, probably the right type of person with the right type of passion to go in there and um and try and you know lift them up from where they are yeah listen he, he's gonna he's gonna need to use all those facets because they've nine points from 19 games um so that that tells you i guess everything you need to know about where the potentially they are as, as a club and um i guess where the confidence is going to be within that squad but 
first and foremost, a really good man, um, really honest type character, like they've said. Like he he has a very good understanding of Irish football and, and probably has a as good a knowledge of, of what's going on around the country as anybody out there. But he's a likable guy. He's going to have to get the, the squad and the players behind him. And uh, he's obviously going to have to recruit whatever talent he can to try to get down there because what the results would suggest that the players in there at the moment aren't good enough. So it's difficult though when you when you look at that that league and you think of like Cork, Galway, Waterford, you know, Cove wouldn't have anywhere near the same sort of resources they've mentioned there. Like Cork City will would you would imagine pick up the best of of the talent there within Cork. So they're kind of dealing with maybe the best of the rest. Um, but yeah, listen, Shane is, is such a likable guy. He's such an honest, hardworking man that you would wish him all the best down there, but certainly, certainly up against it. Yeah, I'd agree, I'd agree with you, Paul. Like, it's sort of a question then for someone with all his qualifications and his enthusiasm and his his ambition to to go into that situation. Like, there's, there's certainly nothing to be gained from the from the current season. And um, you know, what's are the club going to match his ambition? That's you know, that's going to be the the real. Uh, factor over the next few months you know if he is looking to the season ahead and he is getting all these um you know getting this back in that'd be great you know if cove could get themselves back into a situation where they could compete and create turn you know the derby game or cork into a big game again and that sort of stuff but just uh, it doesn't look as that's the case so you know you, you sort of wonder is it going to be a long struggle for him for the end to get to the end of the season or is it just is he just looking for a good a good uh, reaction from the team to you know which would if he can get if he can get the team going and run it would it would it would do a lot for his standing as a manager and maybe get him another move for next season but surely that's not what Cove wanted and and you you'd like to think that he's going down there with with heftier ambitions than that you know yeah I think for any manager who's out of the game I know I know Shane was still involved within domestic football but not on the sideline every Friday night it seems to be an itch or an addiction that they just want to get back out there maybe he sees this as, as a potential stepping stone to to work his way back up um, in, in the managerial side of things but I mean irrespective of how much time he is there or, or what he's using the project for they obviously see it as as a good fit between Shane and, and Cole for where they are today and maybe he can he can um he can progress the club. Um, I mean, personally, and it's probably an unpopular opinion. I think we've too many clubs. Um, I, I think when you when you look at Cork City and Cove Ramblers, it doesn't make sense to me. You've got Treaty then within that area. I just look back at Irish football and listen. We need another hour to go through this, but I think why don't we just focus on a core cohort of 12, 14 clubs? Get the facilities right and um, get our best talent within those areas progress them, progress the clubs and just focus on, on on that number of teams. I can't understand when we go down into these different areas and we've got three, four clubs and some of the facilities aren't great, to say the least. Um, why can't we just centralise that talent, centralise the resources and focus there? Um, but that is a completely different debate. Of- that's a can of worms. That's a can of worms. Oh, my God. You'll be talking about, um, what you call it, uh, blending rowers and bows and shells in together at say next, will you? No, I, I've I've a family full of Bows fans, so I've got to be very careful about what I say. 
Yeah, and we have a third tier coming with more teams as well. So uh, ah, yeah. bonkers, bonkers stuff all together. Listen. Yeah, but uh, one final one final point before we go. Um, you plugged uh, the forty two podcast there, David. But also oh, there was an cool. inter- yeah. Well, there was another story. Uh, um, Gavin Cooney, who we all know obviously as well. Um, he reported yeah. about the Waterford FC sale with uh, the price tag of one point three million euro, and Richard Forrest, who only took over last year, um, with RNS Holding, um taken over from Lee Power. I mean, it's, uh, you know, obviously they're a club that probably still should have been in the Premier Division had they managed things right last season it, rather than, you know, sacking a manager on the week before before playoff. But, you know, obviously there's there's obviously attractions there as they put out the prospectus, but it just seems like a club that just needs stability right now. I know. I don't know what to make. I thought the statement was hilarious because he, he was he was first was having a go at, at Gavin for getting the story. Oh, the, the was, addition, the addition at the bottom of the yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, which is I mean, like a journalist in getting the story shock horror, like amazing. Imagine that. But like it was an interesting one, and it kind of it was a couple of things. Like one of the things in the perspectives is talking about was it the fifth, is it the least they have with the RSC in terms of it's not even as if they own it, do you know what I mean? So like that doesn't really, I don't know, maybe that's just me not having the business head of me, so I don't quite see what the, what, what, how that would appeal, maybe just in terms of having a bit of stability and knowing where you're going to be playing, and the facilities are there, are, are, are quality in terms of the dressing room, and even just around the RSC, um, then you look at the academy, the with the academy as well, and this goes back into, like, it's a kind of a bit of a bugbear as well, a little bit in terms of, you're using that way of this way to make money, and at least that's the business of it. As far well as a football, that is going to be the nature of it down down the line. But that's going to be listen. Paul opened the kind of worms there earlier with the you know, the clubs. But like that's another debate that we could be here for in a while in terms of what's going to be the right way of going about properly managing what the underage and academy structure is going to be. Because I think I think there's still a lot of work that needs to be done there in terms of making sure how things are done and the structures that are in place for for the young kids who are there because like. We say there, there's not enough clubs. There's oh sorry, there's too many clubs. There's going to be nowhere near enough clubs for for you know the young players who are going to be coming through that system to stay involved at, at top level football in this country. Do you know what I mean? So that's going to be another issue. But with the water for thing, yeah, like it's been it's a shame what's happened there because we talk about it like and you talk about other like, clubs as well. There could be so much potential up there, and it just hasn't been tapped by by the right people. That's just the brutal way of saying it. It hasn't been. Hasn't been run well at all. Yeah, well, if there's no clubs in Leitrim, there aren't enough clubs in the country. That's all I say as well. Just as a, <laughs> I don't know about where we're going to get facilities, but um, that's uh, that's another can of worms from another time. But anyway, um, fixtures this weekend uh, on or this Friday. So St Pat's are hosting Drogheda United, um, Bohemians up against Derry City, Dundalk against UCD, and then the eight o'clock kickoff in Harps against Shamrock Rovers, and then Saturday Sligo Rovers against Shelburne, and in the first division, Wexford against Atlone Town. Galway United against Waterford so that's a huge game there in terms of the battle for second slash also up towards automatic promotion depending on what Cork City do uh, Cove Ramblers and Shane Keegan up against Treaty United and then Bray Wanderers against Cork City and uh, next week anyway we have on RT2 and the RT player from the 6th of July the Women's Euro 2022 so we'll be doing a lot of previews and build up to that as well also um, during this week and then also there is the Shamrock Rovers game against Hibernians of Malta which is going to be on Tuesday night as well so plenty of football to look forward to but um, 
let's close the can of worms now, David Snade, and we're going to let you go. Uh, Paul Corey as well, thanks a million for coming on. And Ed Lee, without uh, Kenny Cunningham attached to the hip as well, thanks for coming on. Nice one. Cheers, okay. lads.